You're listening to the Church 2911 Sermons Podcast. You can follow along with the notes for this message and get better connected with our church by visiting church2911.com connect. Now, here's Pastor Rick or another member of our team with this week's message. So, uh, we're going to talk about witness, and, and so I, I want to talk, there's a definition of what a witness is. This is what uh, a person who sees an event, typically a crime or accident, take place. This is, you know, going back to the law and order and stuff. Have knowledge of an event or change from personal observation or experience. So, and, and this is what a witness is. When you think about court, uh, they need witnesses to see what the event, because otherwise, many times, it's, it's somebody's word against somebody else's word. And so they need witnesses to corroborate what one person says happened or what another person says happened. And so this is where, and, and, and this is where the church got this word from. Uh, it's, in, uh, it's in Acts 1.8. Um, and this is the message Bible. What you'll get is the Holy Spirit. Now this is Jesus talking to the disciples. Jesus is fixing to ascend into heaven and he's telling them, I'm going to go, but I'm going to send you a helper. And this is what he says. What you'll get is the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you'll be able to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all over Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. So this is what Jesus said, that we're supposed to be witnesses. Now, going back to the definition that we have, a person who has knowledge or experienced an event, because they have personal knowledge about it, they've experienced this. This is what Jesus is telling his disciples, is he said, I, I want you to be my witnesses. You guys have seen this. You guys have experienced it, and you're going to be my witnesses. They're going to go out. That's going to make all this stuff make sense to people. They've heard the stories, but you're going to be the witnesses. Now, here's the thing. In court, it can't just be anybody to come in and be a witness. You've got to have a credible witness. You've got to have somebody that, that knows what they're doing, somebody that's honest. As a matter of fact, cred uh, credibility has two key components, trustworthiness and expertise. They have to be trustworthy. Uh, if it's somebody that's a known liar that has lied under oath before or somebody who told the police one thing and then went back and changed their story later, their credibility is, they're not necessarily trustworthy. Their credibility is called into question in court. Hey, I've watched a lot of these drama, cop dramas and stuff. I, I, I know my law, and I can do this. Um, but, uh, and, and so the other thing has to be they have to have some expertise. They have to know what they're talking about. They have to have an idea, so when they come in and they're called to witness, they have, to, they, they have expertise, either they're an expert witness or they saw the thing, and they have expertise because they saw it, they experienced it. And so what God, what Jesus was telling his followers here, and it's not just the 12 disciples. You know, he, there were 120 in the upper room that day. There were, there, there were a couple of hundred disciples of his, and so several of them were gathered with him around the mount. He's fixing to ascend into heaven, and he's telling them, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, and you're going to be my credible witnesses throughout the world. You're going to make a difference because, I've, you know, my word is out there. The things that I've said, there are stories out there. There are testimonies, but you guys are going to be the credible witnesses. And that's what God has called us. In order to be salt and light to the world, God wants us to be credible witnesses that can go out and that can make a difference. As a matter of fact, uh, in Philippians, in the, uh, the letter to Philippi that Paul wrote, um, Meanwhile, live in such a way that you're a credit to the message of Christ. So see, pa Paul understood, and if you read, if you read a lot of Paul, I went back this week and was reading all of 1 Corinthians again. Uh, I was getting ready to do the wedding last week, and I was going through 1 Corinthians 13 because it has the love chapter, and it's got all the really cool stuff. But I was reading the whole book, Larry, and I, I just love the way Paul talks in 1 Corinthians. And so he, he's got so much good stuff in there writing to the church at Corinth. And so this was his letter to Philippi. He understood that you guys have to be credible witnesses. 
You know, he, he understood you can't just, you can't just go out and say things. You've you got to be credible. They, the people have to be able to trust what you're saying. And so this is what he writes. Live in such a way that you're a credit to the message of Christ. So what I want to do this morning is I'm going to break this credible witness down. There, there's, there's two areas, of course, expertise and credible, uh, trustworthiness. And so basically we're going to talk about the, the, we're going to talk about the expertise, talk about trustworthiness, and then I'm going to tell you how we can implement that and how we can do that. So the first thing, being an expertise, the first thing that we have to do is we have to know the Word. We have to know the Word of God. We have to know what the Bible says. Um, the Internet has been one of the greatest tools ever invented. Uh, I mean, man, my college courses would have been so much easier had I had the Internet way back then. You know, high school would have been a, I didn't have to go to the library. I didn't have to have encyclopedia. It, it, you know, all these young people, uh, so, some of you guys that are my age, and you, know, you remember encyclopedias and things. Kids today, they don't know what that is. They got the Internet. They pulled it up. Well, the Internet's been a great tool. Now, it's also been a detriment to some ways to our, um, our overall intelligence on a personal level. Because we've come to depend on, on the Internet, on Siri, on Alexa, on whichever one of these people that you use to tell things. Um, as a matter of fact, most people, you ask them what their phone number is, and you're like, I don't know. I tell Siri, call home, and she calls, you know. Uh, or, or, hey, what's, uh, you know, do you know such and such's phone number? I can remember as a kid, I, I man, I, you know, I'm talking 10 years old. I knew my phone number, my grandparents' phone, you know, I knew all these phone numbers. I remember I had these things in... And now I can't tell you my, my work number. I can't tell you, I can hardly tell you my cell phone number because it's just, you know, I just tell Siri, hey, call, call home, call Mia, call this, you know. And, and so, but, um, and the same thing has kind of happened with our knowledge of Scripture. Because used to, I, I, I had a book, and, and, and I had a little one that I loved, and, and it still it, it stays on my nightstand, but it stays there most of the time because I don't carry it around as much. And it was this little book, and, and, and I had it with me all the time. So if I'm at work and I got something going on, I could read it. Uh, you know, it, it, at night, I could kind of, if, if I needed to, you know, I, I needed a scripture, I wanted to go look at it, I wanted to kind of, hey, I need to remember exactly what this says. I kind of wanted to look at this. But nowadays, nobody, I don't carry it. Nobody does because I've, I, I've got a Bible on my phone. I've got one on my iPad. You know, we, we have it all the time. We don't, and so what happens is we just look it up on the Internet and we do these things. We have to know the Word of God. We have to understand. Now, there's, there's something that I need to tell you about the Word of God this morning because um, Rick and I were, were talking, and he sent me this article that he had read uh, in GQ magazine last. I don't know why Rick's reading GQ or nothing, but, but he sent me this article. <laughs> and um, and it, was, it was 10 books that you don't really have to read anymore. And one of the books listed was the Bible because the world will tell you that the Bible is full of hate speech and the Bible is full of, uh, of contradictions and it's full of these things. And, and, and if you... If you simply believe the bits and pieces of the Bible that have been taken out and thrown out there, you would absolutely agree with that. But you see, as, as credible witnesses, we have to know what the Word says. As a matter of fact, uh, if we look at this scripture, 2 Timothy, this is Paul writing to Timothy, every part of scripture, I want you to see those first two words, every part of scripture is God-breathed and useful one way or another, showing us truth, exposing our rebellion, correcting our mistakes, training us to live God's way. Through the Word, we are put together and shaped up for the tasks that God has for us. So those first two words are the most important things that if, if you really don't get anything else today, there's one other thing I hope you get. But, you know, if you can only get one or two things, this is one of those things. Every part of Scripture 
is God-breathed and God-inspired. Now, I'm just going to be honest with you. Larry, there are parts of the Bible that I am uncomfortable with. There are verses out there that I wish God had left out or he had worded a little bit differently. There are things in there, and if you're honest, some of you guys are like, oh, I never, oh, come on, you know, you, you know that there are some verses that if, if you are being completely honest, there are some verses you're like, eh, God, could you have left this part out right there? Uh, somebody, somebody told me after first service the part about, um, there's a verse that says women be silent in church, and he said, I wish God had left the in church part out. But uh, I'm not, I don't advocate that. That's very misogynistic and chauvinist, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that, mainly because my wife is sitting right back here. So, but, um, but, you know, but, but there, there are parts of the Bible that we'd like to leave out, and, and so we have to be careful. For instance, if you know me at all, if you, if, if you follow me on Facebook or anything about me, you know that, that uh, I have a pseudonym, a nom de plume, that I like to cook pork by. It's called Big Daddy J. And Big Daddy J likes to cook some pork. Some, some, uh, as a matter of fact, if you've bought some of the Boston butts that the, uh, the, the Royal Chicks sell for their fundraisers, uh, I, I helped cook those things. And, so and, and I love to do that. And I love, more importantly, I love to eat pork ribs and shredded pork and stuff like that. Now, here's the thing. I was in college. And uh, I, I went back to school. I was in a church that allowed us to go back. And I was, I was going back to finish up my music degree. And, um, and so I took an ancient history course. And my professor, uh, this, was, this was a secular college there. It was, um, uh, it, it, was, it was part of the University of Florida system there in Gainesville. And so one of the ancient history professors there, he was, he was a homosexual, and, um, which, which is it just, it's only relevant for the story. And so the guy, um, he and I would, would debate. I was a little bit older. I was in my late 20s, early 30s, right around here as I was finishing this up. And so I was a bit older than the average college student. And so he and I would, would, would kind of debate back and forth about things occasionally. He would bring up things. He obviously viewed some things about society one way, and I viewed them a different way, being a, being a staff pastor and, and, and doing some things. And so, um, and, and so we would sometimes talk, and, and he, would, he would be in a debate with one of us, and he would say, you know what, class is almost over. Why don't we meet for dinner tonight and finish this discussion? I'll buy. Um, I, know a great that we can get a, I know a place we can get a great pork roast. Or if you'd rather have seafood, I'll get us lobster. And he said, I, I, it's my treat, my dinner. Now, here's, here's the thing that he was trying to get us to fall into. In Leviticus, the Levitical law says that we're not supposed to eat any cloven hoofed animal or shellfish or things it also says we're not supposed to shave the sides of our beard it also says we're not supposed to wear mixed fibers and and, and there are a lot of things if 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 you if you're if you've never read through the bible i really suggest you do not start in numbers or leviticus because you'll quit okay it's just you have all these things that are there um you need to read them at some point and so what happens is so many of us we get to that and we say well, that doesn't apply to us today. That scripture doesn't apply to us because God, you know, God understood they didn't know how to, they, they didn't have a way to store food. They didn't have a way to prepare food. They also weren't supposed to eat dairy. They weren't supposed to do these things because it was protection for them. We understand that today. And so we say that doesn't apply to us and we throw that scripture out. This man knew that I was going to take another Old Testament scripture and point to his lifestyle and say, according to scripture, this is wrong. And he knew if he could get me to say, that scripture doesn't apply, 
then he could say, well, then this one doesn't apply to me. And you see, what happens is over the years, we've kind of taken scriptures that we don't like, and we say, well, this doesn't apply to us. But this applies to you. And, 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 and so we begin to do that. And so with him, I had to make sure that everything I did was New Testament. So I could say, okay, you know what? Let's disregard the Old Testament. We disagree. Let's talk about strictly New Testament. Let's do this. We're going to do these things. And we go through. But you see, we have to know the word because here's what else happens. Rick shared last week about society and how they come at us. And, and they'll take scripture out of context. They'll do these things. And they want us to know. They'll throw out a scripture that says, judge not. You guys have all heard that. And, and they may even throw in the part of the next line that says, judge not lest you be judged. Okay? What they don't do is go in and talk about what this is going about and where this is going. And Jesus says, judge not lest you be judged by the same standard that you judge. So if I'm using the word of God to judge something, then I'm going to be judged by that same standard. If I'm, if I'm of God, I'm cool with that. Because I'm using the Word of God, and if I'm following God. And so, but that's just one area where we take scriptures out of context, and, and, and the world will take it and they'll do this. When we know and understand scripture, the verse I threw out a second ago, let women be silent in church. And, and if you understand, the, if you understand the, the history of that and where it's at, then you can better talk when people try to throw this out and say the Bible is misogynist, and so it's against women, and so it doesn't apply. And there are people that'll do that. That's why they tell you don't read the Bible. It's full of hate speech. It hates this person, it hates this person, it hates this person. They've never read the entire Bible because the Bible is not hate, the Bible is love. But when we understand Scripture, when we know the Word of God, when we understand that I have to be careful when I say this verse doesn't apply to me, every part of Scripture is God-breathed and useful one way or the other, even the parts that I don't like. Even the parts that I may be like, eh, yeah, but, you know, every word. And when we begin to read and understand Scripture, now I've just depressed a lot of you because you're like, you're telling me I can't eat any Big Daddy J pork from now on? I didn't say that, okay? I said I have to know Scripture and I have to understand where it comes from and I have to know whom I'm speaking to and what that Scripture means so that I can be an expertise and be a credible witness. Does that make sense to you? So we go through this and, and we begin to see, uh, we, we begin to know and, and, and see this. So, so the next part, uh, this is the expertise. We study scripture, we begin to know scripture. We get back to the point that we don't wait on Pastor Rick or, or uh, the pastor that we like to listen to on TV or the podcast we like to download, that we begin to understand scripture. You see, in the early church, as the early church progressed, the first 300 years, and we're going to talk about this in a minute, they, uh, the, the church, they, they were all about love. They began to come into power around 300 years or so into their history. Constantinople comes in. He becomes the, becomes the emperor. He makes it the national religion. And so Christianity no longer is the backwoods thing. It's from the other side of the track. Suddenly, they have the power. And so as the power began, the thing about power is people like to keep power. People in power, you see, we, we see it with, with, with a lot of our politicians. We see they, they'll do things to, stay, to keep, power is addicting. We like power. Absolute power corrupts absolutely is one of the, the phrases that's thrown out there. And so um, you saw in the early church where they kept scripture in a language so the people had to depend on the leaders to tell them what scripture said. 
Well, we're not like that today. The Bible is in every language that you can imagine. Any language, I guarantee that somebody in here reads. Uh, if, if you have a reading comprehension, I can get you a Bible in that language. So you have the Word, and God expects us to know that Word, to be credible witnesses. So once we do that, once we begin to expertise, the next, part, the next part we have to work on is our trustworthiness. And that's when we let our words match our deeds. Now, you see, one of the things that, that we do, and, and this was the, the Philippians verse I shared just a second ago, that, you know, make sure that you live your life. One of the things, if you ask the average person, how come you don't go to church? What is it the thing? What do you think about the church? What's the first word that comes out of most of their mouths? It's full of hypocrites. It's full of people that don't, they, they talk one thing and they do another. They talk love, but they're full of hate. They, they, they come in and they talk about doing this and they do that. Um, I see people occasionally post on Facebook. We, we, we like to get on our holy rants on Facebook sometimes. That's our, that's our soapbox. Uh, that's one of the other things about the Internet. We get to say things without having to look someone in the eye and say these things. And so I, um, I'll see people post things like, it's time that the church is hard on sin, and we start calling sin, sin, and calling out sin. Okay? Let's call out sin this morning. Let's start with gluttony. I've never heard in all my years, I've been in Pentecostal church my entire life, Sandy, and I've never heard a message preached on gluttony. And most pastors look like me. <laughs> they got a little, they, they got a little, they, they've eaten one too many of Big Daddy Jay's ribs or something, you know what I'm saying? And so, um, and, and, and so we, we take that part out. We don't want to call out that sin because that sin, well, I mean, that sin is that. So, you know, we, we, we want to talk with someone, and, and I'm telling this because I'm trying to help us. This is about me. This is the journey I've been in. I had to unlearn some things, Larry, that I, I, I came up being taught. I, I had to, to, if I want to reach this world and be salt and light, I have to understand the way that I have to reach them. I'm not talking about as believers together, we, call, you know, we encourage one another to do right. We, we help each other and edify one another. And, and if you see me in a sin, you come and you say, listen, brother, I, I see this and I'm concerned about you. And we pray about it and you help me and we do that. I'm talking about when we go to the world and we do this, we have to understand if we go tell this person, you shouldn't smoke because your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit and you should know that. And we're pounding Krispy Kreme donuts and fried chicken and drinking caffeinated sodas that are that are killing us there's a disconnect when it comes to the world uh, you follow me right there I, I I'm not trying I, I'm really 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 not trying to be a jerk I, I I'm, I'm trying to see help us see there's a disconnect this is where the world sees a disconnect with our message and so when when we begin to let our words match our deeds we, we have to kind of there's a uh, there's a saying that's attributed to St. Francis of Assisi. Now, when you research, there are some people that wonder if he actually said it or if this was just merely summed up his ministry. But St. Francis of Assisi said, preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. Now, here's the thing. I, I have people who are, uh, who, who are still dear friends of mine and they're in the denomination that I came out of. And, 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 and this, ver this saying, they hate it. Because they said, You're, this, is just an, this is an excuse to not say anything. This is an excuse for people not to share the word of God. Man, share the word of God. But if your deeds don't match your words, then you're simply blowing hot air. We preach the gospel through our actions. Jesus wanted them to be credible witnesses and live such a life so that when people saw them, they said, 
I, I, I've never believed in Jesus. I don't believe in the Bible, but you're genuine. And whatever it is that you have, I want it. You see, being a credible witness is, is that, that, that my walk begins to line up with what I say. That I, I, I'm, I'm careful to call out people, and when I make a mistake, I'm quick to say, I'm sorry, I messed up. If um, I've apologized to my kids before, I've told them, I, I, I've, I, I've, I've disciplined them, gotten on to them, and then later come and said, listen, I'm sorry, I could have handled that better. Um, I, couldn't, I could have been not as angry. I could, have, I could have used some words differently. I could have done that. Now, some of you guys think I'm a terrible parent right now when I say that. And, and that's okay. My kids think I'm a terrible parent sometimes. So, you know, it's just, that's the way it works. That, that part was supposed to be funny. So, um, thank you. So, uh, but, you know, we, we, we do things like that. And, and, and this is where, when, when we come in, I, I have to understand, if I want to win... If I want to be salt and light, because here's the thing, salt taught, uh, Rick taught last week that salt, uh, you know, salt has flavor. We flavor those around it, you know, because uh, the Bible says, you know, uh, will it lose its flavor? When it loses its flavor, it's not any good. But salt does not just, it does not just add flavor and do things. Salt is a preservative. Salt was used in the early days. They didn't have freezers. They didn't necessarily smoke meat to, to, to keep it for long periods of time. They would salt it. Some of you guys that, that are older, or you grew up in the country, you understand, you, you, you've seen salted meat before. They would take pork, instead of smoking it, they would put it in a box and they, they would cover it with salt and things because that salt kept the meat from decaying. And so, as being salt and light, we, don't just fla we shouldn't just flavor those around us, we should keep the, keep the culture that we're a part of from decaying. And that happens when it's credible witnesses our deeds begin to match our words. We begin, to, we begin to walk in the light as he is in the light. As a matter of fact, there's a verse, um, I think it's in 1 John, 1 John 1, 6. This is 6 and 7. If we claim that we experience a shared life with him and continue to stumble around in the dark, we're obviously lying through our teeth. This is the message, Bible, in case you couldn't figure that out. We're not living what we claim, but if we walk in the light, God himself being in the light, we also experience a shared life with one another as the sacrificed blood of Jesus, God's Son, and it purges all our sin. You see, when, when, when we begin to walk in the light, if, if, if we go out and we proclaim the gospel, but we're continually stumbling around. Now, here's, here's what we do in the church. And when I say we, I am part of the church. I've been, I've been in the church my entire life. I, 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 my, my grandfather was a preacher. My other grandfather was a deacon. My dad was a deacon. My mom sang in the choir. I've been in church my entire life. And, and I'm part of you. And what we do, and this is part of the journey that I've been on that I've had to unlearn, is that when, when, when we're faced with a situation where I'm struggling with something, it's much easier to say, he's struggling with this. It's much easier for me to call out another sin to take focus off of my sin so that I can continue to do what happens. Or the other thing is that, that, that we come to church. Um, I was listening to a podcast by uh, Andy Stanley yesterday, and, and um, he, uh, it, it was, he was sharing that he told his congregation, he said, I'm going to tell you something that you're not going to believe, and I'm going to have to spend a few minutes convincing you. And that is that the church is where people are supposed to come and be real. The church is where you're supposed to come and be able to be yourself, where you and I can be in community, 
And if I'm struggling, I can say, hey, Russell, will you pray with me about this? And, and, and you'll pray with me. And I'm not worried that Russell's going to post it on Facebook and say, you guys will never believe what Jeff told me today. But we're in community. But instead, what happens too often is we come to church and we put our mask on. We come in and people say, how's it going, man? <laughs> Great, brother. Too blessed to be stressed. <laughs> I'm doing good. God's good all the time. You know, everything's good. Everything is great. No problems. Now, now don't get me wrong. As, as, as my parents or, or my in-laws would say, you, we're not supposed to pour mouth and say, you know, that, that was, uh, that, we're not supposed to do that. You guys know the word pour, you know. We're not supposed to tell everything that's wrong in our life and come in and try to, when somebody says, how's it going, they don't really want to know how everything is going. They don't want to know, well, you know, this rain's got my corns acting up and uh, my, uh, you know, my back's a little sore, stiff, because I've been, you know, my neck is, you know, they, they don't want to know every little thing, but they want to know how's it going. If there's something going on, they want you to be able to tell them, I've got to take my dad to the doctor this week because they see he's got cataracts, he's going to have to have surgery. And, you know, I, I, facing the fact that my dad's getting old means I'm getting old and I need somebody to pray with me because I, I'm just really, I, I'm praying for my dad, I'm worried about it. You know, it's, it's where we come in and I drop the mask and I don't, have to, I don't have to pretend that everything is fine in my life. I can tell you that, hey, this is, you know, this is here. Can you pray with me about it? But what happens is in church, we put those masks up and the world comes in and they see everybody with their masks on and they say, that's fake and I don't want to be a part of it. And so Christianity must be fake because all the Christians I know are fake. Because our deeds don't always match our words. It's okay for us to say, I don't have all the answers. As a young minister, I felt like if somebody came with a question, I had to know all the answers. I felt like I had to have an answer, and so sometimes if I didn't have the answer, I'd make one up. <laughs> I'd tell you something because, you know, well, this is what the Scripture says, so I guess this is what it means. And so, and, and any pastor that tells you he's never done that is not being completely honest with you, Okay. Or is Jesus one of the two? And the best thing that ever happened was when I realized that I don't have to have all the answers. I can say, you know what? Here's Pastor Rick's phone number. No, I can't. <laughs> He's not here today, so I can do that. Uh, you know, I, I could say, you know what? I don't know, but let me call my friend. I don't know, but let's look at the Scripture together. I know this Scripture. Let's kind of look and see what it says. And our words begin to match our deeds, and we begin to line up. We begin to walk in the light with God himself in the light, and we experience fellowship with each other. And we begin to, we begin to change, and, and, and it begins to be less and less about trying to dictate or legislate morality. And it becomes more about being Jesus. I've used the phrase before, and I, I got it from Jeannie Mayo years ago. She said that her job was to be Jesus in a genie suit. And I've always taken that. My job is to be Jesus in a Jeff suit to those that I come in contact with. I make mistakes on job sites. When speakers are heavy and they land on your hand, I may say something that I'm not supposed to say sometimes. I may say fish paste. And I have to say, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do that. I yell at my helpers sometimes when, when they do stupid stuff. And they're helpers, so they do stupid stuff. And I have to say, man, I really should have handled that differently. I'm sorry. My words have to line up with my actions. So if you, 
if your expertise is knowing the Word of God and your trustworthiness is making sure that, that, our, that our, our deeds begin to line up with our actions and making sure that, that we begin to do things as Jesus would do it, how do we implement that? Because that's, that's real easy to say your words match your actions. But man, that's, that's hard to do because the Word, if I know the Word and I'm preaching the Word, I'm not perfect. And nobody in here is perfect. So how do I do that? And I'm going to tell you, the way to do it is to love like Jesus loved. Jesus is, um, Andy Stanley, there's a, a, a quote that he used. It said, um, when we leverage anything but love, we lose the leverage that we have. And here's, here's what he's talking about. He, he was talking about, I told you earlier about the church, the early church, uh, they, they, they had no leverage. These guys were, um, the, these guys were ridiculed. They were a cult. I mean, they were an offshoot of the, 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 the Judea, uh, Judaism. And so they were considered heretics that were out there because they were following this man, Jesus, who claimed to be the Messiah. And so they were looked at as, as people that were crazy. And so these several hundred disciples, however, they loved like Jesus loved. Um, right before Jesus, he, he's having... He's having Passover with his disciples. We now call it the Last Supper because they didn't know, well, one of them knew that he was, being, he was going to be arrested that night. He was going to be put on trial. And so Jesus, right before he goes, he says, Rick talked a few weeks ago about, you know, right before your kid leaves, you're telling them all the things, remember this, remember this, you're going on vacation. Hey, do, you know, your first time you leave your teenage kid at home, don't forget this, don't forget this, don't forget, and no parties. You know, we tell them all these things. Well, Jesus is telling his disciples because they don't know that he's about to be arrested. And so, this is the last thing, and he says, uh, now, if you guys remember, a few weeks ago, Rick said those original Ten Commandments have become like 625 or so commandments by this time that Jesus is there. They had all these things. They had rules to keep you from breaking other rules. Rick talked about this a few weeks ago. And so Jesus says, let me give you a new command. Now, he had 10, and Jesus broke it down to two. Love, you know, love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. He broke it down to two, but then Jesus says, let me give you a new command. Love one another. In the same way I loved you, you'll love one another. And this is how everyone will recognize that you're my disciples. This is how people will know that you are the credible witnesses to my power because you love one another. He says, love as I have loved you. Now, now you got to understand, in this, in this group of 12 men that he was talking to was Matthew, who was a tax collector. When you read Scripture, you'll see things that say the sinners and the tax collectors because the tax collectors were considered a step below sinners. These guys were, these guys were considered traitors to their own race. They were considered, uh, basically, the, the government was collecting taxes. They got somebody local, and they said, you collect however much you want to, just make sure we get this much. And so that's how they made their living, is they, they took more than they, and of course, it became easy to be greedy, and so they were hated for it. Um, we, we, do, we do have somebody that goes to our church. Um, I don't think she's here today. She works for the IRS, but... Think about how we feel about the word IRS. Well, these guys, these were one of their own that were there, and, and this guy was doing it. He was hated. And Jesus said, you are going to be one of my closest disciples. You're one of the 12. You're one of the 12, the hundreds of people that will follow me. You're one of the 12 that's going to be my closest confidants. He loved Matthew like that. Peter was a hothead. Simon, he was a fisherman. He was a hothead. He was a guy that, uh, some of you guys know somebody like that. 
Some of you may be one like that. You know what I'm talking about, that type A personality that's never seen a problem that they back down from. They come in guns blazing, get out of the way, I'll take care of it. You know, that's that, that kind of thing. They come in, they've got all the answers, they're the one. This is Peter. And even though he would rub some people the wrong way, Jesus said, not only are you going to be one of my 12, you're going to be one of my three closest. And not only that, I'm going to change your name from Simon to Peter because Petra, Peter, means rock. And upon this rock, I'll build my church. And so these are the guys that he says, love like I've loved you. And they remember the times that they messed up. They remember the times that these, that, that these things happened. And Jesus says, love like I loved you. And so for the first, for the first few hundred years, these, the, these few hundred people, uh, on the day of Pentecost, there were 120 people in the upper room, and the Holy Spirit came. Peter comes down and preaches a sermon. 5,000 people get saved that day. And so they go out, and, and so the church begins to grow, and they begin to meet from house to house. And keep in mind, these guys are being, when Nero was emperor, just to right around this time, when Nero was emperor, he hated, he, uh, he, he burned Rome because he wanted to rebuild it. He, he was, it's kind of like, it's kind of like when our wives watch uh, Joanna Gaines on HGTV and want to tear up the house so they could redo it with shiplap. You guys know what I'm talking about? Am I the only one whose wife watches Joanna Gaines and does that sort of thing? And so, uh, <laughs> and so it's kind of like that. Nero decides, hey, I want to redo Rome. Let's burn it down. And so he burns it down. And so people hated him. So like most politicians, he said, let's blame it on somebody else. We're going to blame the Christians. And so he began, to, he began to persecute the Christians. He began to throw them into the lion's den. You may have heard of the Apian Way where they took, they took Christians and they soaked them in oil and they hung them on poles and they lit them on fire to be streetlights. This is what Christianity and these guys leveraged love like Jesus loved. And they went and they loved people, people that wanted to kill them. They loved them. They went and they did this, and for the few hundred years, it changed to the point that when Constantinople came into power, he made it the national religion and said, everybody's a Christian now. Let's all be Christian. This is the power because these guys leveraged love. But when they came into power, they began to leverage power. And if you look back at church history, you'll see times where we leverage power instead of love, and we get church splits, and we get a lot of the things, the black eyes that we have in our history. And when we, when we forget to love like Jesus loved, then we cease to be credible witnesses, and our society ceases to see Jesus as being a credible option. Now, I'm not telling you, I'm not, I am not standing here this morning saying it's your fault, because first off, I am you. We're in this together. So if it's your fault, that's my fault. I'm telling you that there's a way we can be better. We can be salt and light. I told Rick when this started, I said, I, I, I'm excited about this. Uh, I, I told him this over breakfast of the day. I said, I, I really feel like this series, being salt and light, can, can revolutionize our church. Our church does a lot in our community. Our church has a pretty good name in a lot of the community because of the things that we do and the outreaches that we do. And I said, this can revolutionize and do greater things or we're going to make everybody mad, one of the two. <laughs> because you see, when, when we begin to, for me to love you, means that I have to look past things that you may have done to hurt me, that you may, not, you may or may not know. 
I, I, I may have to look past, for you to love me means you have to look past some of the stupid jokes that I tell up here. You have to look past some of the things that I do. But that's what God has called us to do. Jesus said, love like I loved you. And so when I think about all the things that God looks, the things that nobody else knows about that I've struggled with in my life, the things that happen, and because I can't be real sometimes, because growing up I wasn't able to be real with people at church, I kept it a secret so nobody would know because I didn't want to get caught. And when it stays a secret, it festers and it grows up and it does this. Just to be emotionally naked with you guys today, and I try to do that when I'm up here, is I remember one of my earliest memories. Uh, I, I've, I've been an emotional guy my entire life. I'm a guy that wears his emotions on his sleeves, and um, I, I'm just a, I'm very empathetic, just an emotional person. And uh, as a kid, I was probably about six or seven, there was a show that I watched. <laughs> it was called... All of you old people like me will remember this. There was a show called The Boy in the Plastic Bubble with John Travolta. You guys remember the show? And it gets to the end. Was, you know, it's, I, th I think maybe we made it at this point. Yeah, it was cheesy, but I was six, okay? Give me a break. And so uh, it gets to the end of the show, and I start bawling like a baby. I'm crying because I was so emotionally... He, he's got this disease, he's stuck in a bubble, and at the end he decides he'd rather live free than live in a cage, and he walks out of the bubble into the world, and that's the way it goes off, and I'm just like, I'm six, I don't even know what the whole deal is, I'm like, oh my God, that is beautiful, this is great, I, I really did, I'm crying, and my dad, my, my dad, because this was the way, in, you know, in the, in the 70s, that he told me, he said, guys aren't supposed to cry like that, stop that, <laughs> I think it scared him a little bit. He was afraid his son was a sissy or something. And he said, you know, and he says, you know, you can't do, don't do that. And so growing up in that culture, and it's not just, I mean, it was the culture. And growing up in it, uh, I played football when I was a kid because I was a big kid and, and that's what you're supposed to do. I mean, real football, not this soccer garbage, you know, real football. And so uh, I, if you play soccer, I'm not talking about you. This is the culture, okay? <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not being salt and light at this moment. I'm making a joke. Um, and so, uh, you know, growing up, they, they said I wasn't mean enough to play football because I'd knock somebody down and I'd try to help them back up. And so, you know, and they were like, no, you're supposed to spit on them and kick them when they're on the ground because this is, you know, you got to be mean. You're not mean enough. And so I wasn't mean enough to play football. And so I grew up with this. And then I was into music and they said, you know, you need to, you need to do something manly. Don't be a musician. You need to do this. And so I grew up with this. And so for me, I began to shove all of this stuff down. And I'll never forget... I was in my, I, I was probably 23, 24, we were at a church in South Alabama, and, and, and I'll never forget the comment was made that something about you had changed, and you're just, you're not very compassionate. And I remember talking to, 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 to Mia, and she may never remember this conversation, but you know, talking about, you know, something is different. And I remember praying and asking God, we went to, uh, we, we went Shortly after the mid-90s, we went to a, a, a conference or something, and they talked about it. And I remember, I remember praying the prayer, God, break my heart again. Because I'd become so hard from years of packing all this stuff down and not doing it so that I wasn't compassionate. And I came up that, you know, you, you need to be, you need to call out sin and tell people they're going to hell. And this is, and, and, and I said, God, break my heart. 
Let my heart break for what breaks yours. I don't ever want to be able to watch the news and see a story about a child that's, that, that's, that's, that's killed or, or this that happens and, and, and be able to look at it without my heart breaking. I want to be like Jesus when he sits on the donkey after looking over Jerusalem and he sees the, he sees the, the, the sin in the, in the city and he knows what's coming and he weeps because he knows that this is his, these are his people and, and that, that he came from that he had grown up with for 30 years and there's something coming because these people are not living like they should be. And instead of getting angry and instead of wanting to throw things and instead of, instead of getting on my soapbox that I weep and I cry and I go and say, you guys have to understand. And my life makes a difference. You've been listening to the Church 2911 Sermons Podcast. If you have a prayer need, our prayer team and staff would love to pray with you. You can send us your prayer request by using the email address prayer at church2911.com. If you would like to know more about our church, including information about our weekly services, please check out church2911.com. Thank you for listening. We hope you know that God has an amazing dream for you. And as always, we dare you to dream.